0: It is late on Monday night as we record this few days after the Patriots lose to the Bengals. I know you don't want to hear a whole lot about it, but we got to take our medicine. Uh, And the form of that medicine tonight for your boy is at least one beer. We are bringing back the old tradition. Andrew drinks alone and talks to himself. We got a Lawson's Finest Liquids, not a sip of sunshine, but Man River Maple to get us through. Film review of the Bengals loss and then a peek ahead to Miami with some dried mayo talk in the middle. And... Mailback questions from you. So here's the deal. We don't need to talk about how ugly it was. We don't need to talk about the playoff scenarios moving forward. If the Patriots win out, they still get in. What are the odds of that? I would put them around 10% coin flip game against Miami. And then we're talking five to 10%, whatever it might be at Buffalo. Doesn't matter. We all know that. That's the deal. The thing is, they're seven and eight. And regardless, in my opinion, what happens versus Miami and at Buffalo, even if they over the Dolphins, and dominate the Bills. Is this loss against Cincinnati defined and embodied the Patriots season more than any other that we've seen for one simple reason? The Patriots showed you their ass, okay? This was a colossal coaching failure on both sides of the ball. Not just offense. And we banged on the Matt Patricia and Joe Judge drums all year long, rightfully so. And I told you multiple times, I don't find this particularly interesting to keep playing those same notes. But they keep giving you reasons to. But defensively, the Patriots matched that. You might go, oh, well, they shut the Bengals out in the second half, this and that. We'll get into the exact numbers that show why 22 points allowed did not exactly show you what happened on that side of the ball. But when the Patriots needed their coaching staff most, with their playoff lives seemingly at stake, okay, they gave one of their worst performances of the season, perhaps the worst, if not close to Chicago, and they lose 33 to 14, Monday Night Football, certainly don't need to go back that far. But that is the point you need to get across from this game. You can gloss over all the numbers, fast forward to the drive Mayo talk, Miami preview, that's fine. But if there's one thing you take away from this episode in this game, is that coaching failed the Patriots. It failed them against Cincinnati and it has failed them all season long. That is why they are seven and eight on the outside looking in right now and not comfortably inside, at least at eight and seven with one of these games, be it Vegas, Cincinnati, maybe Minnesota. And with a firmer grasp, on their destiny or fate whatever you call it. all those phrases kind of suck they all say the same thing it don't really make sense but you get what i'm saying and we're going to go through both of them and then we're going to get to the good the bad we need to talk and what would nfl film say in our traditional post-game recap episodes but quickly some numbers in the coaching staff and i have a lot more bostonherald.com go read the film review per usual two thousand words lots of graphics blah blah, blah 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 offensively okay let's start with this the game plan a was a disaster B, you know, is a disaster because they started with six straight punts around the most pointless possession of the NFL season when the Patriots, with 11 seconds left before halftime, trailing 22 to nothing, throw an 11-yard pass. Then they call timeout, and you remember what happened next. They kneel the ball because why else would you take a timeout just to run the clock that you stopped intentionally, okay? The six straight punts, though, obviously are more of a problem. This team did not cross midfield until their last play. Of the third quarter. Their first two drives were three and outs. And the third downs on both of those were just abysmal. The first one, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, as you've surely seen by now, run into each other and what was, you know, an omen for the rest of the game because the route spacing was terrible. We'll get more to that. The second third down, Mac Jones signals for a screen to his right. He's got three receivers. Two look over, one doesn't. Mac snaps the ball, looks right. Everyone's heading upfield. No one's looking at the ball. It's a failure in communication and in scheme because the Bengals not fooled, also not blitzing, which is why Mac checked to that screen. So he throws an incompletion over the middle. These are plays the Patriots had rehearsed over and over again. Within your first six snaps of the game, your first two third downs. Typically, there's a whole day dedicated to third down. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What are our answers for this and that? Nothing, zero. So those were two out of those six plays. I also mentioned that they had those three and outs part of it was because Matt Patricia a week after going 22 of 23 in under center plays, where he ran the ball drops under center for the first two times, of course, runs the ball. Not just that though runs his favorite run, which we've covered for months now in the podcast that so you've been listening a weak side zone run to the left, basically put everyone on the right. Let's go behind Trent Brown. The first one went for two yards and you'll be shocked to know the second one went backwards. Also for two yards, so that's two runs, two predictable runs. Formationally, schematically, they get you zero yards and put you behind the chains. Then you're down a tight end. You're down fourteen nothing defensively, and you keep moving forward. Where, you know, it, it's it's shocking watching the end of that game, right? If you watch it from start to finish, or if you just jumped into the highlights, because you could say, oh, they turned around in the second half and all these yardage totals, blah 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 blah. They owed that second half to Kendrick Bourne. Okay, that guy had a 32 yard catch in triple coverage that Mac just heaves up there from midfield, takes it down, then catches a 50-50 ball for a touchdown. Then he catches a 28-yarder, the one that Be- Belichick had this like fiery backhanded challenge throw, okay? 28-yarder, taps the toes, they overturn it, it's a catch, that's great. Patriots still going backwards, okay? Now trailing 22-12 to 12 after the Marcus Jones pick six in Kendrick's touchdown. They get all the way back to third and 29 after intentional grounding. And Mac Jones has to throw a pass that I think hits Santa's sleigh on the way down to Scotty Washington's hands, and then somehow finds Jacoby Myers in order to get a touchdown. Okay. Those two plays, Bourne's touchdown and a 50-50 coin flip, and then that godforsaken pass constituted the whole scoring for the Patriots offense. Because if you don't, reminder, Stevenson fumbled. And again, look, he, he had a bad game. This is a game where we can't excuse one of the worst plays and worst finishes we've seen from the Patriots ever. Um, because he was so good as Stevenson was in Las Vegas, he was not against Cincinnati, but it took a brilliant performance, an unprecedented performance from Kendrick Bourne, who had 100 yards for the first time in his career, and remarkable luck for the Patriots to even be close at the end. Now, luck also went defensively, which I talk about six straight punts to start the game around the end of half, kneel down for the offense. Defensively, the Patriots they played the same coverage on 54. percent of their coverage snaps. Cover two. It was the most I've ever seen the play since I started charting every single play and covering the team in 2018. Okay. And you know what? You could go, let, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Sorry, let's make the case for 54% of a same defense at the start. Jack Jones is out. Jalen Mills is out. The rest of your corners, Marcus Jones, Miles Bryant, Jonathan Jones to a degree, probably better in zone. And certainly when you're playing three safeties with McCordy, Duggar, and Phillips, or maybe Dribble Peppers all better zone coverage players than man-to-man. So, of course, you're going to lean more zone. The thing is, Joe Burrow passed this too high coverage test where teams last year, as Chase is breaking out, T. Higgins is a problem, Tyler Boyd's still good, he solved this test where everyone's making him be more patient and take touchdowns and hand the ball off, which Cincinnati did successfully, not for one touchdown to start, but two straight, and they got a field goal, and then had an interception only because Tyler Boyd stopped running his route. It's good play by Devin McCordy. And then scores another touchdown before halftime. And so against all this cover too, okay, which was 58% before halftime, not 54, Joe Burrow goes 18-21 to 21 for 147 yards and two touchdowns against plan A for the Patriots defense. So 22 points looks bad. Not to mention that field goal would have been a touchdown if not for Devin Asiasi holding penalty that was their plan. planet they sprinkled in a little bit more pressure in the second half half admittedly risky but it got you that pick six from marcus jones who was sitting it off coverage on third and 11 they send the house it's a very loose kind of man coverage he watches the ball come in picks it off goes back okay and the other part about this was when they weren't playing cover two because they got in the red zone you know they got the advantage of not having to worry about these deep balls to t higgins which Burrow throws in the second play from scrimmage, 38 yards over Marcus Jones. T. Higgins has an 8-inch height advantage height advantage over Marcus Jones. Of course, he gets that. That scares the Patriots. They say we're playing cover two, too deep, the rest of the game. Even though Burrow, what I started to say earlier, let me finish this now, the fourth-best quarterback in the league this season, not just last, when he learned his lesson, against cover two by yards per attempt and passer rating. But moving forward, when they weren't playing cover two, and you get inside the red zone. You got a little bit of an advantage. We can play some main coverage if we just play the leverage right. Maybe a couple of doubles here and there. You know who got more doubles? At a Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, who might be a Hall of Famer one day, and T. Higgins, who's definitely going go to the Pro Bowl uh, sometime soon. Boyd did. Tyler Boyd, their number three wide receiver, got bracketed five times in the red zone, as many times as Chase and Higgins combined. Never mind that Jamar Chase. Have size and speed advantages against the Patriots outside corners, or at least one of the other. And as they were bracketing Tyler Board Boyd five times, um, T Higgins got his first touchdown. Jamar Chase converted a third and long that set up another score. Okay. And then Higgins gets another ball that sets him up close to the red zone for that final touchdown. So the game plan fundamentally was flawed. And I get you don't have a whole lot of options with Jonathan Jones, Marcus Jones, Miles Bryant. You could play a little more cover four. You could maybe play some cover six. You could work in some creeper pressures like we've talked about where you got a four-man rush. One of them drops off the line scrimmage, replaced with a linebacker, and you can play cover two behind it. That's how the Patriots got their first interception against Zach Wilson, against the Jets. Granted, Zach Wilson, not close to Joe Burrow, but the point remains the same. There's a way to generate safe pressure, and the Patriots just trusted their front four to get standard pressure this was like straight out of the colts in the bears in the mid-2000s all those games they played against Peyton manning and then that super bowl it was like you know the, the spider-man me as far as defensive philosophy went and in the bucks even before that in 2002 and they win that super bowl okay the patriots tried to disguise it to their credit a lot of guys rotating responsibilities Devin McCourty would play a short zone then he'd go to the deep path Kyle Duggar short zone then he's running down the middle in Tampa too between the two high safeties Bentley's doing the same thing so they really spun the dial as far as that went. But the variety didn't change a whole lot in the second half. This wasn't a big game plan adjustment thing. Now, the Patriots, again, like I mentioned, had that big pressure in third and 11. The game will pay off. Pick six pays off as well as you can on defense. And then the next drive, I think it was third and six. They align the same, uh, you know, pressure look, covers here, everyone up, all the corners off, and then bail out of it. And they get Cincinnati to call a screen, which they're all over because they're not actually blitzing this time. Nice sequencing by Steve Belichick. But as far as the rest of the second half, besides the pick six and that punt, they benefited from a missed field goal. Joe Burrow missing a third touchdown, to Trenton Irwin down the middle that just went past his fingertips, holding penalties on the offensive line that backed them up. And Cincinnati staring at the clock instead of the scoreboard, just going, all right, let's get this out of here. Like Burrow had some chances that he just flat missed. And that's what kept their defense afloat as much as Anything aside from Mark, Marcus Jones' pick six, which was great, but Marcus Jones also got smoked by T. Higgins or Jamar Chase, as you would expect. Credit to him for sticking with it. 14 tackles also had the screen catch. But when you look at what the coaches did to put this team in position to extend its playoff lives or take control or even just move above 500, there's nothing there offensively or defensively at least defensively you could see what they were doing there was a purpose and there was a reason and a thought to it it just happened to play directly into Cincinnati's hands for the last season and a half offensively there's no clear plan they're running the same stuff that I've told you they've been trying to force feed with these outside zone left and the route spacing god we're gonna get to that now in a 2nd i I'm going gonna do the good we're gonna we're gonna take a breath here but there's nothing there. that You go, you're giving us an edge based on the position that you're putting us in. Tack on 10 more penalties, and this is just a poorly coached football team. And we're not talking Matt Patricia and Joe Judge exclusively. You look defensively, you look kind of in the whole idea of the concepts and game plans they were putting together, bad all the way down. If they won this game, I talked about this could be a signature win with Mike Gerardy before it. And it was there. It was there for the taking, five yards away. And then you fumble reminder stevenson does it 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 would have been a signature win as it was remembered but in real time you're looking and going they got every single possible break they could have and that's why they won not because of anything the coaches did it would have been the old players win game and coaches lose them as belichick says all the time and this was the clearest case of that in which the coaches lost it and as i mentioned probably the season okay let's do some good now uh, Juwan Bentley. I tweeted this out earlier today. I think we talked about it last episode, so I don't have to say too much more. He has a dozen more tackles, including one on special teams. He breaks up a touchdown pass to Joe Mixon, blanket coverage. He doesn't miss a tackle. He's sure out in space. His coverage is fine now. Like, this is a legitimate all-around linebacker who I will say definitively has been their second best defender since Halloween. And depending on the week and how critical you want to be a Matt Judon's run defense, Maybe their best, certainly their most consistent. Juwan Bentley, great game. Um, Kendrick Bourne, we already said it. 100 yard performance, good for you. Gold star, touchdown, all that uh, for him keeping them alive basically single handedly. Marcus Jones, already talked about it. The pick six. Again, I, you forgive getting burned by T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, okay, when you're five foot eight and you're a rookie and you're giving up eight inches to one of those guys and the other one is just a physical freak, okay? Like that's fine. All told, though, his efforts, And that's, I can't believe we're still talking about screens on offense. His 15-yard gain on that screen, like, this should be a staple part of their package. Now, they're going to need counters off that and send them vertical sometimes. But he is so good in tight spaces. I was talking with Kendrick Warren after the game. I was like, what is it about him? I I, I want to call it a vision. He goes, he's just so fast. But he sees the game so fast, which kind of agreed with me. And that's what gets him to places that most guys can't go. Like, he, he has this playing out ahead of him like few players do. And what makes him a great returner, a guy with the ball in the stands on pick sixes, or of course just getting screens, helps with the low center of gravity, good quickness, all that. But Marcus Jones is a special player, even with a very obvious deficiency that hopefully after this season, if the Patriots get a little bit bigger at corner, um, can, can bump him inside. Because I think he could be a very good nickel, but outside he's going to struggle. So that was it for the good, you know, Judon, Uche both could sack. You'd like to see a little bit more. And that's saying more about how good they've been rather than what happened on Saturday, but just not enough to earn. Okay. You balled out. It was Bourne, It was Bentley and uh, Marcus Jones. All right. The bad, we covered the coaching. Um, let's bury it. Put a gravestone down. Like that's just, it, it was just, it, it was just abysmal. It was, it was bad. And even some of the younger players, let's talk about the development part of this really quickly. Um, Cole strange is on the bad list. Okay. A lot of sack two hurries and it run stuff. It was terrible run blocking. Tyquan Thornton, I think, had one catch. Let's find the official numbers here. He had, yeah, one catch for eight yards and three targets. Not separating. Um, Marcus Jones playing fine. Stevenson, second year back, breakout season. Can't knock Vinny Sinceri, another young offensive assistant. But the guy fumbles. He has another drop, third in the last five games. And let's stick with Stevenson, because I mentioned we would get to him. Um, and that's it for Cole Strange, who made the bad list. Stevenson, I'm very curious if he's wearing down which you would completely expect, A, given the the guy has an ankle injury, B, how much of the workload he's carried to date. But when you look at the things like the fumbles, which he had one in the first half that we forget just because it skipped forward and out of bounds and didn't hurt them. Second one near the goal line, dropping passes. He had zero, zero broken tackles and minimal yards after contact. So I don't think there's anything seriously wrong. You're going to have outlier games here or there. He didn't provide an edge against Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, two very good coverage linebackers. It was kind of like the Buffalo game and that throwing to him one-on-one against those guys really isn't a huge advantage. So they didn't feature him. But that's a problem when he's your best player on offense and you don't feature him because you're trailing or you don't know exactly how to do that because your game plans, again, suck. Uh, Something to monitor, though, because Stevenson has already played with two games left to go more than double the snaps he did last year. So. You would think Damian Harris, one of these teams, is gonna come back. Uh, and if so, that should really help out, obviously, Ramondre, who's dinged up and has been worn down even for a 24-year-old in the prime of his life and of his career. Hey guys, a quick break for a holiday gift from me to you. It's a reminder that Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. NFL, college football. Bowl season, esports, in the end of the World Cup, you'll find the latest odds on all of those, plus team matchup info, player news, game trends, all at BetOnline.ag. Where BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for any sport or game. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. So head online to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your fifty percent welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS fifty. That's C L NS50 to receive your award at Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is yeah, not as job. simple you know, as why? bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech, it opened so, up so many know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDIC. Moving on with the bad. John o. Smith. Jeez. This is... You, you could even just say three catches for 21 yards, and you can't remember a single one of them, which is bad enough. The problem is, and something else I tweeted, when you look at the plays in which the Patriots were outspacing, was worst. He's in every single one of them, okay? I think part of this is to do with coaching. But it's also a player who, at this point in his career, is kind of a, an established known commodity. We know what he is. He's never had more than 500 yards in a season, even going back to Tennessee. We thought he would be this tackle-breaking machine, movable piece, could be an F, could be a Y, could be in the backfield, could do whatever. And none of that has come to happen in New England. And worse yet, he's eliminating opportunities For other receivers, because he's like a freaking magnet to them when you look at the tape. Okay, these two man route combinations start to merge at the top. That's never, ever supposed to happen. Any sort of friction is supposed to be immediate off the line, crossing routes to get off press coverage. Cincinnati played a lot of press coverage, more than the Patriots expected. Why they were off guard might have been a coaching thing, but they've seen a lot of it this year. And John Smith is in the middle of all those, twice with Kendrick Bourne, then running into Hunter Henry. Next one, he's not deep enough on a levels concept where you kind of have a high-low going to uh, in-breaking routes over the middle, so the defender has to commit to the short one or the deeper one. Well, Jermaine Pratt just got to hang out because they were so close together. He goes, I'll just see where the ball goes, and I'll follow it, and I'll get a hand on it. Well, the ball didn't go there because Mac Jones knew he couldn't throw it, throw it with John F. Smith and Tyquan Thornton, so close together. So he didn't. And Mac Jones, in fact, took two sacks of those four aforementioned plays because of the route spacing. Speaking of Mac, um, yes, dirty play on Eli Apple. His explanation Monday, don't buy it. Trying to help Tyquan Thornton, who is pursuing. I think it was Jermaine Pratt, I remember, who picked up the football. Um, on what looked like a scoop and sore and in his intentional grounding. You're not helping your teammate who runs a four-two and has a 12-yard head start, okay, by knocking a guy down behind him. There's 30 yards left. Eli Apple's not catching him. Okay. And that block was from behind and to the side. Even if you want to say, oh, it might have been legal, I I think he's going to get fined. And this is something where with Mac, it's just, it seems to be instinctual. He can't help himself in these moments where he'll do absolutely anything, even if it crosses the line, to kind of get an advantage. Remember the Brian Burns play, the thing about the Bears, I could give or take. It's just, it's something to monitor. I said on TV today, it's like, we got some little Grayson Allen syndrome going on. I I don't, I'm not going to call him dirty. It's like a dirty sock test. You pick it up, you smell it, figure it out. I wish we had a better way. It's 2022, almost 2023. The Mac Jones, I'm picking that up. I don't know what the ruling's going to be, but too many of things have happened for us to go. Oh no, he's you know he's fine, clean, stand up guy. I, it, there's just there's something there that 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 flips inside of him because that was a completely unnecessary play with a bogus explanation. Not the biggest deal in the world. We move on. We need to talk. Um, I already hit on it already. We're not we're not going to bury this anymore. You can read about it. Find the tweets, screenshots. The route spacing is terrible. Again, if you want to ask, you know, why is Mac Jones regressed? This is a big part of it. You know, protection's not been great. They've tried to help that with the play calling. Some chips here, some doubles there, some slides over there. But when your receivers downfield are actively helping the defense, this is what you get. A quarterback with, you know, entering Saturday, just as many touchdowns as interceptions. And all of his other numbers regressed. Like, you just can't have these receivers running very basic concepts. We're talking slant flat. I already mentioned levels, okay? We're doing uh, post wheel. We've got deep crossers, you know, a post and an in route. Like, all this different stuff you see everywhere across the league. Players who are here and started in Tennessee, if you were Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, of course, back with the Chargers, um, Aguilar, the Raiders, the Eagles before that. You can't have this. His crawl throw to Aguilar, by the way, was way off. And it looked like Aguilar, in my opinion, this is a random third-quarter play. If you remember it, you're a sicko like me. <laughs> they, they drew a penalty. It was a defensive pass interference or holding. Aguilar's stem goes way inside the numbers. And the way you look at that throw that lands outside the numbers, you wonder if that's where, again, some of the route detail gets to be an issue. But the bottom line, that was a very simple concept. And they're just not doing it. The route spacing here has been bad. On Saturday, it was atrocious. Okay. We're taking a breath again. What would NFL film say? Well, knowing NFL films as an extension of the league and the propaganda, they fire up the propaganda machine so high for this one. First half goes as quickly by for this fake Patriots hour-long documentary of the 2022 season that we keep referring to, and I explain because people come in and out of different episodes. Is that it's 22 to nothing? They skip right over that. You get a big play in the Marcus Jones pick six. It was awesome. Pick sixes are great. You get a big zoom in on the touchdown that Jacoby Myers catches off of Scotty Washington, Kendrick Bourne's catch momentum's building, the late strip sack, the fumble, everything about this is kind of rising to a head. And then we get the Stevenson fumble and he cut to some post-game comments and that's it because ultimately this game, though I described it as the defining game of the season and captures everything that we've seen through 15 so far in 16 weeks, 15 games in 16 weeks. It doesn't really matter for the playoffs. If the Patriots still went out, they make it in. And that's what this documentary, uh, or whatever you want to call it, would really care about. So they're moving on to Miami and soon we will too. Quick note on dried Mayo, because this came up today, Nathaniel Hackett gets fired uh, in Denver. I just wanted to pass along some reporting I had done last March when I was at the Combine, got to talk to a couple people, people, uh, interviewed George Patton, GM, just asking about the interview. They were thoroughly impressed. And this was not lip service. Um, just to the random reporter from New England because you want to say nice things about the guy that you interviewed. They really liked what Gerard brought as a younger candidate, obviously got some playing experience, some new ideas, was not just going to take copy and paste the quote unquote page way and drop it in Denver. Now, obviously, he didn't get the job just like he didn't get the job with the Eagles a couple of years ago. But in talking to two other execs, he is really well thought of around the league. And You could see at the time when he got hired, he was the second coach ever to be hired in New England under Bill Belichick as a full-time position coach. So not kind of like assistant defensive line or offensive quality control, whatever, like you are the linebackers coach. Without a year of experience coaching in the NFL or college or in their system. The other one was Pepper Johnson, similar ex-player linebacker. Um, I think it was Pepper. I have to go back to the story. Anyway, dried has been on a fast track for a long time and it's coming to a head here now do I think he goes to Denver no but you can't rule it out a because he impressed he interviewed last year I think with the Broncos it's a it's a pretty toxic situation you start with Russell Wilson yeah. all the vibes are bad the contract massive that's going to inhibit you from team building out the team as you want the other part about it is I think they're going to feel burned the Broncos will even with this new ownership that we don't really know much about with a first year head coach. Cause that was Nathaniel Hackett who might've just been Aaron Rodgers bait. If you go back to the timing of his hire and Rodgers hadn't decided to come back to green Bay yet, that might've just been them trying to get him. And their plan B was Russell Wilson. Turns out the worst plan B quarterback in NFL history, where they get fleeced in one of the worst trades. Obviously, hopefully Wilson plays better, but staying here for a second, I think they're going to want an experienced head coach. Because if you remember Dan Quinn, who might turn the job down if they offered to, I think was second or third in their coaching search. So, I think they go more experienced. If you're Gerard, he's a very smart guy, very capable, everyone raised about him in the building in New England. He's been more than open about his coaching aspirations. I would hesitate if I were him. Jobs come open every single year. Two others are already out there, Carolina, possibly Indianapolis. And as while those are unappealing for their own reasons, I think between the contract, the player you have at quarterback. Some toxic stuff behind the scenes that I haven't heard reporting on a story about Dave Ziegler, not the Raiders GM before the Pats, de facto GM, that, you know, stuff you want, like the strength and conditioning staff was not good. And things behind the scenes that like you look at a franchise and go, how do you miss the playoffs for seven straight years? Stuff you don't want to deal with is going on in Denver. So it's possible. Something to keep an eye on. You're going to hear a lot about it. I would have my doubts. But could he leave this offseason somewhere else? Absolutely. And I would be surprised. If Gerard Mayo is still here For the start of the 2024 season So if this year is not his last And supposedly according to Phil Perry um, His contract's up Maybe it's a one year extension, who knows what happens Albert Breer Reporting he wants a defensive coordinator title Seems unlikely to get in New England As much as Bill should probably just swallow that pill In any sort of pride Because he's a great coach and that's what matters most Um, Maybe next year's it Who knows But I think Gerard Mayo's on the way out sooner rather than later Denver though Maybe we can pump the brakes. Okay. Uh, talk about Miami really quickly. They've lost four straight. We're gonna do the full-on breakdown uh later on this week. So I don't want to step too much on that. Teddy Bridgewater, though, it sounds like will start because Tua Tagovailoa is back in concussion protocol, obviously hoping the best for him. How much does this change from a football standpoint? As much as that should really be a human story because the guys had three freaking concussions in the same season, and somehow the NFL keeps missing this, but Staying on the field, I don't think it changes a whole lot for the Patriots because you can do the, oh, well, two is 4-0 against Phil Belichick, blah, 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 blah. They average fewer than 20 offensive points per game against the Patriots when two starts. Like, this is a Patriots offense problem versus a Patriots defensive problem, even though Miami salted away two wins against the Patriots last year in the final moments. Otherwise, excuse me, we'll give you a quick rundown. Miami, despite losing four straight, they're 8-7. They are eighth by DVOA. They are uh, fifth in offense, 17th in defense, and 31st by special teams. So when we look ahead, and I'll repeat myself later on in the week, I'm sure, they're going to need a big edge there on special teams. I talked about field position with Cincinnati. Bengals started on an average from their own 33. In 10, 10 of their 12 drives ended in Patriots territory. The Patriots cannot survive that against Miami. The good news is, uh, the Dolphins might be very willing to hand over some good field position or maybe a score. So I think it's a coin flip game and we'll save that for the end of the week. All right, on to your mailbag. Um, I swear I had this up. Oh, here we go. So uh, from Andrew De Silva, three, four bullet points on the tweet. So we got a lot here. Uh, thoughts on the level of blame towards Troy Brown in the offensive struggles. Here come the bullet points, inability to be press, spacing, receivers so slow to get into routes, and Thornton's lack of development since a promising camp. I was pumping the brakes back in camp about Taekwondo Thornton. The first three uh, I think are fair. And obviously you hope more from a second round pick. Let's just put that out there. I mean, whatever the summer was, the season has not been good. And his numbers are nearing, dare I say, Nikhil Harry territory. Um, but yeah, Troy Brown absolutely assumed some of this responsibility. And, and people forget working with him as the youngest position coach in the NFL Ross Douglas, who's 27 and really well thought of within the organization, but someone who played defense in college coached defense with the Patriots last year, after coaching a couple of years at Rutgers and then one at Richmond and is now working with the receivers. And I think he's got a great perspective. I'm sure he's helping them with, but this is another area where, okay, Troy's been around the block. He's also dealing with the returners. None of these receivers in their previous stops, especially Devontae Parker were good against press. You just got to find better ways to win. Now. Let's just go down them really quickly because Parker has been about as expected. He's not changing. Born under Troy Brown last year, also had Mick Lombardi career year. I think his issue is more usage than it is performance. Nelson Aguilar totally fallen off, definitely takes some issue there because he's been invisible. He's been terrible. Um, Thornton development, obviously, an issue. Jacoby Myers has been steady eddy. So, all told, there's not a huge drop off from like a lot of those players, which you would definitely say about the tight end position and the offensive line. But yeah, sure. If you want to blame Troy Brown and I saw a couple other people uh, tweet this in response to my screenshots about the route spacing. No question about it. I do think, though, I'll tell you, I know the route spacing goes to something larger as far as the design of the offense. And that's where you get more into Patricia Judge um, and Evan Rothstein, who is quietly helping out behind the shadows as your kind of assistant uh, quarterback's coach, does some more project stuff, helps out with the red zone. And we all know how that's gone. that's where everyone has has a hand in the spacing, but individual development. Yeah, sure. All right, John Dunphy wants to know, the top wide receiver available this offseason free agency is Jacoby Myers. So retooling the offense with new weapons will have to come through the draft or a trade. Is there a disgruntled or soon to be cashing in for a payday? I feel like we're missing some dashes there. <laughs> um, wide receiver that you can envision the Patriots trying to trade for. Great question. I think we did this on TV uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. There are names out there. The trouble before we jump into any sort of scenario is to remind ourselves that the Patriots have never, ever, ever, ever paid for a number one wide receiver. When they got Randy Moss and got him to re-sign a three-year deal after the 2007 season, it was on their terms. Wes Welker, it was on their terms until it wasn't and then he walked. So the best receivers here had never been paid top dollar. And so the Patriots, I think, would be wise to probably pivot from this apparent pillar of the roster-building philosophy because, look, as, as Dave Ziegler put it to our, our friend Doug Kite Pro Football Focus back in March at the league meetings, Raiders trade for Devontae Adams. This is so unpatriot-like. He not only coughed up you know, first and second-round pick, he gave him this exorbitant deal. What gives? He goes, this is a scoring position, okay? Receiver is important. And look, the Raiders are not some sort of case for why that deal worked or why it was great. But there's a trickle-down effect where players like Adams, or and I'll finally give you the names, um, maybe a Mike Evans, maybe a DeAndre Hopkins, maybe a Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. Mind you, the Chargers, Cardinals, and Bucks are all heading into Capel as it currently stands this offseason. They have a gravity to them where the attention they get, be it from a safety over the top or a double team, much like Tyler Boyd apparently, Helps other players create other opportunities. And when you look at the Patriots roster, who has the most gravity? It's reminder Stevenson. So teams load the box and they say, well, press you on the outside and go ahead, go nuts and beat us. There, there's no one that's helping out the other skill position players by drawing attention away. It's something that a couple episodes, we covered this and it's NFL exec who works for a team that played the Patriots earlier this year told me, yeah, their biggest problem is there's no one that scares you and that's it. So, I don't think they're going to give up a huge haul via trade and take on the contract. But if the contract is so bad that I'm not saying you would attach a pick, like an NBA salary dump for DeAndre Hopkins, that's a deal I'd explore. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but Mike Evans has a bunch of void years um, in a lot of prorated money. That might be a little bit friendlier for the Patriots. So those are the names I would keep in mind. Are they likely? No. I think they were probably less likely to come here than the Patriots win at Buffalo in week 18, which is not obviously a lot, but it, it is a really good question. And I think it's one that we would all answer differently than Patriots. And how how much change are they willing to swallow and endure this off season? It's a question that goes for coaching, the front office, and a lot of things. And the wide receiver position, I think would cure a lot of what's ailing this offense right now. All right, let's go through the next uh, couple really quickly. Mike at Pat Fly soon wants to know, when um, the Patrick signed John Smith were there any quotes from Belichick on how they planned on using him? I guess my question is, what was the plan for signing Smith, especially since it was a lot of money for little return? And is it Smith or is the way he's utilized? Look, you have as bad a game as Sean Smith did against Bengals. Starting point is you. I, I know I spent a ton of time bashing the coach and explaining the numbers and a lot of things we talked about, but you, you you just can't run your routes the way that he did and be so close to your teammates or have that lack of awareness that if you stumble out a little bit or you're not as forceful that you know you're going to end up running into that being a magnet as we described him so smith has underwhelmed i think there was this vision for him where you know and he i remember the quotes i remember are from him about oh be finally used correctly they're going to unlock all this potential look they, they unlocked your bank account and that's great and john was a good guy but tennessee didn't lack for creativity okay their offensive coordinators when he was there Mike LaFleur head coach in Green Bay, Arthur Smith, head coach of the Falcons. Like These are offensive guys who succeeded with him. They used him plenty. So the Patriots, I think, wanted to build a new 12 personnel offense. I wrote about this before they went to the rebuild. They're going to spend big at tight end. They're going to go with middle-class veterans, a wide receiver. They're going to draft the defensive tackle, quarterback we didn't know yet. All of those things come to happen. What didn't come to happen, of course, is this new 12, tight end, or 12, tight end, 12 personnel, two tight end offense, where I thought, He was, you know, going to be more of your move tight end, if we will. And this is a very, very, very rough, strictly on-field comparison or analogy. He was going to be your Aaron Hernandez. And Hunter Henry, a little bit more of the Gronk back in the days. Obviously, a much lesser blocker. But Hunter's numbers against zone coverage were better. The John who beat man coverage more often and often broke a lot of tackles. And so I thought he was going to be away from the formations. And just none of that has happened. John Smith is the epitome of a player who is currently constituted is better in theory than in reality. We can do all these different things with him, you know, F tight end, Y tight end, put him in the backfield. And it's just, we can we can hand him the ball off and they did and they have, and it just, it just hasn't happened. So I think they found out that again, when you have a player like that, you'd see old Jack of all trades, master or none, very skilled player, athletic. It's just, it's not been a good fit here. And they've changed the offense. I think probably to help players like him and others, and he's been worse. And so, partly that's on him, no doubt about it. But I think the Patriots' overestimation of his talent, making him the third highest paid tight end. And this contract has gotten worse because they've guaranteed more of his money and converted base salary into signing bonus. So, he's sticking around. Um, it, it's only gotten worse. And it was, but it starts with their overestimation. And that's the most important part. I said we would go quickly and we didn't. All right. Uh, sorry, Nick uh, Van Hoof, because we're going quickly with yours. I've heard people say T. Higgins might be available via trade because the Bengals are going to have to pay Burrow and chase soon. Do you think this is an option this off season? Sure. But the same qualifiers uh, for the conversation before would apply to T Higgins. I, I can't even pretend to know what the Bengals are thinking or what they want to do, but ultimately, uh, yeah, I think T Higgins would, would fit here. I think it would fit everywhere. What's the price. What's the cost. What's your competition for all that. I think the Patriots could fit them in their cap sheet, but do they want to cough up a second rounder for someone who might not be thrilled? About being here? Is that for two years? Do the Bengals want more? Are they offered something more by somebody else? Like that's where the conversations get a little stickier. I think you're better off probably acquiring somebody who signed a couple years ago. Contract looks bad. Patriots say we can fit it in our books, but you know, we're only going to give you a, a late round or whatever it might be. Last one from Ben. Um, pretty basic question. But why are the receivers still having issues with separation? Is it play calling? Is it Max fault? What about the O-line? Uh yeah, look. <laughs> I'm gonna take a sip because I, I, if I was having a drinking game every time I said "look," I think I'd be out of this beer by now. The offense is bad across the board. We can't stop. And we can't continue to look for one answer about why the offense is struggling. The offensive line has underperformed. The tight ends have underperformed. The receivers have underperformed. The quarterback has regressed, certainly at least statistically. Okay, reminder: Stevenson's taking a step forward, and that's great. But he is so dependent like Mac Jones is on the offensive line and the play calling and design that it's not enough to carry what is now the worst Patriots offense since 1995. So I think they're having issues with separation because Devontae Parker always did. Kendrick Bourne often did. Taequann Thornton can't get off press um, or separate at the top of its routes like he did sometime at Baylor. Might've been overdrafted, we'll see. So yeah, it's coaching. And play calling's tied into that. They're asked to win one-on-one a whole lot. And you don't see a lot of motion at the snap, which their biggest play until those prayers that Kendrick Bourne answered later. And then Scotty Washington was Kendrick Bourne at the snap on under center, jet sweep, hands it off. Like that kind of stress that you put on a defense, whether you got the ball or not, is something the Patriots are not making teams account for. Making them move their eyes, be disciplined with their eyes. Where's the ball going? Is this a fake? Like you watch Miami. Yeah, they've lost four straight. Yeah, the offense has come back down. But when you have guys in motion, and sure, they're Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. It puts a unique stress where you get him going already. And there goes Tyree Kill across the formation, straight into a wheel route. Like that speed, that buildup is such an advantage for that offense. There's something missing from the Patriots. So I guess it's not Max's fault that the receivers can't separate downfield because he has to hang in the pocket and hold on to the ball. But everything else, yeah, everyone gets a little slice of blame pie. All right. Well, I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas. If you were celebrating or a great final night of Hanukkah, this went much longer than I expected. I think this is one of our better episodes and not just because I took all of two sips of this beer that is now warm after I opened it. Um, again, any mailbag questions, feedback, comments, hit me on Twitter at underscore Andrew Callahan, a Callahan at bostonherald.com. Um, big week Patriots beat Miami. It's win and get in at Buffalo. Um, I don't know if you want that either way i think we just need to appreciate the football that's ahead because soon enough it's going to be the middle of april and amid reading your 107th mock draft everyone would probably sign up for watching what is uh going on in indianapolis right now which is colt's charger in a game that i know at least started miserably we don't know what's happened but look football's football and we got to appreciate it even when it's uh <clears throat> seven and eight and uh the coaching is holding everyone back but we will ring in the new year with a new episode dolphins preview coming this week can't wait stay safe We'll see you then.